Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and uh, and the Kingdoms of the World, because the Kingdoms of the World are often in opposition to the Kingdom of God. They like to say what is evil is actually good, and what is actually good, they would like to say, is evil. Uh, God gave us dominion, but uh, Klaus Schwab says that we will not have dominion, we will not own anything, and we will be happy. <laughs> so, I don't know if God will be happy with us uh, if we have lost dominion. We don't own it anymore. Klaus Schwab or somebody owns it. Uh, maybe Klaus Schwab's working for somebody else. But that's one of the things that uh, was in the news this morning uh, at the Epoch Times uh which my daughter actually said she was going to try to get the paper to get my grandkids to uh, start reading the paper to get keep them familiar with what's going on in the world. And uh, what we want to do is get you familiar not only with what's going on in the world, but why it's going on, because that's really what the Bible is all about. It's telling us how the world works, how the universe works. The world is in the universe but how does the universe work? Well, God created it, so he knows how it works, and he gave us lots of hints in the Bible. I guess, uh, what was it, 1769 was the podcast from uh, Joe Rogan and uh, Jordan Peterson, where Jordan Peterson says, the Bible is the book of books. And uh, he's saying that, Everything hinges off what it says in the Bible. Whether the Bible is true, it's not, it doesn't matter. It's the springboard of all the great authors and all the great philosophers in the beginning of, you know, the renaissance of reason that supposedly came upon man and, you know, when Gutenberg got his printing press. First thing he was doing was printing Bibles. And one of the first things that happened was he started getting persecuted for printing Bibles. They said it was of the devil that they were printing Bibles. They didn't know how they were doing it. They were keeping their technology a little bit secret and how they were able to print so many books in such a short period of time because they had revolutionized the idea of setting type. But uh, setting type had been around for a long time, but now they were doing it with kind of a capitalist, industrious way. And from that, all these books have come out, all the learning has come out, and now we have the Internet, and we can Google everything on our phone. But our understanding has often been decreasing for the last number of years, and uh, I don't know exactly when it all started. It's always kind of been ebbing and flowing like the tide, our understanding of how things work. And so we're telling you how things work, and we're telling you a lot of the things that they don't want you to know. They don't want you to find out. But the problem is they sit in darkness too, and so they don't necessarily know if you... If you came out Epoch Times, I'm sure, shadow banned at times, and uh, 
people like Ben Swan and Anomaly, which is funny. I always think Anomaly is a very interesting guy to listen to. And he's just a rapper who just happens to be kind of sincere and honest, which he seems to be one of the best political analysts on the Internet <laughs> at times. Uh, because he, uh, it, you know, I've seen his progression as he's grown and watched what's going on, and he just realizes this is not honest. But what is important is that you need to find out what is true. And it's not always what you learn or don't learn. It's what you've already learned that just ain't so. And so we're constantly attacking people's delusions. And we may look at idolatry today. That's a big delusion with the modern world is that they don't know that they are actually idolaters. That they, as a matter on almost every single country, people are meeting the definition of idolaters and actually fornicators. And uh, they don't know it. And it's in the Bible, and it tells you that you are. And it tells you what will happen. You will become merchandise and curse your children. And we did a program, and uh, you can go to Preparing You at uh, Acts uh, 21, is it 21, 25? And we have an audio there now explaining that the problems in the Ukraine today It's not Putin. It's not Biden and Hunter Biden and all the corrupt oligarchies oligarchs that are in there taking advantage of the people. I mean, they have all the kinds of natural resources. Uh, South America had all kinds of natural resources. And uh, the United States had all kinds of natural resources. But the United States became this world power. But South America can barely get their act together. What's the difference between South America and early America? And now that we see early America, Epoch Times is coming out with several articles about Great Reset and Klaus Schwab and the New World Order. And even the President of the United States or Joe Biden is talking about the New World Order. And uh, what is that? And... uh, What is this great reset? And we've seen runaway inflation. We saw runaway inflation in Rome. We saw numerous great resets in Rome. Changes in the way in which they did things. The way in which they governed themselves. And then it seemed to go all downhill from there. And we still have people that think, oh, if we get this president in or that president in, everything will turn out okay. But the reality is, We've changed our relationship with government, and we have become idolaters. Well, we still go to our churches, you know, our Baptist church, our Methodist church, our Catholic church, our Seventh-day Adventists, the Jehovah Witnesses, and none of those are idolaters, right? Actually, they are almost all idolaters. And we Now, that's a radical, mean thing to say. But is there some truth in that? And you tell me by the time we get to the end of the program. But I said in one of our earlier shows on uh, Acts uh, 21-25 that uh, the problem in Ukraine is their churches are have not got a clue and are not telling the people 
what Acts twenty one twenty five is really all about. And we we think, you know, that it has to do with the Gentiles who have come into the Lord's family should abstain from uh, meat sacrificed to idols, which would be kind of idolatry, wouldn't it? Uh, and from blood, and from what is strangled, and from fornication. And what I've, I'm saying is that all the modern Christians, they're not abstaining from meat sacrificed to idols, and from meat with blood in it, and from meat that is provided by strangling. And they're actually engaged in fornication with a strange woman, with a, a whore who rides a beast, you know, the harlot who rides a beast. And all you have to do is look up some of the words that they're using and you'll find out what they're talking about. And uh, we'll go... I also did a great deal of work this week on improving our uh, Ephesians. If you go to preparingyou.com and look up Bible and then look up Ephesians, you'll see it. Uh, there's six chapters in Ephesians. And who are the Ephesians? You know, you could ask... You could probably go into all kinds of churches and ask... Who are the Ephesians? And, uh, well, they're the people who live in Ephesus. And as we've explained, Ephesus was the World Bank of the Roman Empire. Built by 127 different countries. 127 different countries got together and built the temple at that time called Ephesus. And the Christian ministers, the apostles, were accused of robbing the temple at Ephesus. Robbing the World Bank. You know, actually, that sounds kind of interesting. How do you rob the World Bank? Because <laughs> uh, the World Bank is tremendously powerful in all these countries, including the Ukraine, all the South American countries, all the uh, African countries, and they loan them money, and they get power in their country, and they get power over there so they can set policy. So what is that all about? Was Ephesus doing that? And yet, here comes these little sandal-clad apostles, and they are accused of robbing the temple at Ephesus, which, according to historians, had the most secure vault in all the Mediterranean. But they were robbing it. How are accused of robbing it? Of course, they weren't. They, they said, there is another king, one Jesus. And they were doing contrary to the, to the decrees of Caesar. What's that all about? I thought we were supposed to obey Caesar. Well, we're supposed to obey Caesar in giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. But what belongs to Christ didn't belong to Caesar. Because Christ's kingdom was not of Caesar's world. And we've explained that. Look up our article on world at preparing you and it will explain to you what what he meant when he said that who he was talking to and why he said it he wasn't saying that the kingdom of god wasn't on the planet or that he wasn't a king on the planet earth he was a king he was the anointed king that's why we call him christ christ means anointed and that's what they did to the kings of judea and israel is they anointed him. But of course, if we go all the way back to Samuel 8, 
1 Samuel 8, we know that they weren't supposed to have a king at all. They could have one, but he would end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking until you cried out, and God said he would not even hear you. So the reality is, is the Ukraine has all these oligarchs and these presidents and these rulers because they don't know 1 Samuel 8. And because they don't know that they eat meat sacrificed to idols and they eat meat with blood in it and they eat things that have been strangled and they are fornicating with the systems of the world. Now, this is really a good time to point out that the United States is doing all that too. All the people in the United States are doing that. But again, most people are going to say, what is he talking about? Well, that's what we're going to tell you again today. And you can go back and listen to the recordings and read at Acts 21-25 and, and read the footnotes and all the supplemental articles that take you to that. If you went to the Epoch Times and you looked up this this article that talks about the real reset is coming, they link to other articles as well. And uh, their articles uh, include uh, New World Order of Economic Policy and uh, uh, China Insider and uh, Data Driven New World Order. Beware of the Great Reset, the New World Order. They have this article after article that is talking about China's New World Order, etc. And you may learn a lot about what's going on and where they want to take us. But we're going to show you the even deeper uh, motivating factors of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire and the the decline and fall of the empires of the world today from Russia uh, to the United States and to the New World Order. Because in the final analysis, the New World Order will not work. Unfortunately, millions upon millions of people will die and suffer. And uh, many people will finally wake up on the wrong side of the river. And you are the wrong side of the Red Sea. Or the wrong location in time and history. And we want you to know what God's plan is. What Christ's plan uh, was for us and follow that because there is hope on the other side of that. So where are we going with this? Uh, the next quote I was going to give you to kind of lead you into this is from Ephesians 5 and we'll start in verse 3. It says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness Let it not be once named amongst you as becometh saints. So they have lumped fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness all in the same thing. And they're saying they don't want it to be amongst you at all. And I don't want it to be amongst you either. But I just said that the United States, the people of the United States and all the churches are fornicating. And uh, they certainly are engaged in covetous practices, which according to Peter would make you merchandise. In the New Testament, Peter says covetous practices will make you merchandise and curse your children. And what they're talking about is desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor through men who exercise authority one over the other. Even though they may call themselves benefactors, they exercise authority over your neighbor to provide you with benefits. 
And people think that's okay. That's not okay. That's a covetous practice. And it will end badly. And it is, it is in that process now and you can see it coming. But people don't know all the links. But if we look at that word fornication, which is a Greek word, comes from, uh, uh, Greek word pornia. And, uh, it's from a, a series of other Greek words and, and we'll look at that too. But it's supposedly, first definition is illicit sexual intercourse. And of course it, it is that. It could be adultery. Uh, it could be sexual intercourse with a close relative. Uh, you know, like incest or sexual intercourse with uh, a divorced man or woman. Uh, you know, if you go to Mark 10, 11, 12, you know, it has that kind of uh, use in those verses. As well as in uh, Lamentations, uh, chapter 18, verse 6, 23. 6 through 23. But it also is a metaphor. And they tell you this right in the definition within the concordance. It's a metaphor for the worship of idols, which is that idolatry. The defilement of idolatry as incurred by eating the sacrifices offered to idols. So then we would want to look at the word idolatry and see what, what that word means. And, and we'll take a look at that, uh, because you'd be surprised what idolatry meant years ago. I mean, we have a definition that's come down to us through uh, theologians and authors and everything. But what we want to know is what did idolatry mean back then when the inspired men writing the biblical text looked at idolatry? You know, the golden calf was supposedly idolatry. Except for we've already written an article and done lots of programs explaining, looking in history, looking at all the other Greek city-states that had golden statues. And we discovered that these golden statues was a way in which to bind the people together by taking all their gold and putting into this single golden statue, and then everybody had to guard. If they wanted to protect their gold, they had to guard that statue. Now, there had to be more arts in this idea. Remember, Aaron, who built the golden calf, knew the arts of the temple. And just as Ephesus was the world bank of the Roman Empire, the temples were also banks in Egypt. They were storehouses. And when you start understanding the, the purpose of the temples and how they function, you realize that this, these golden statues were called, in Greek literature of the time, they were called reserve funds because they were the Fort Knox of your banking industry which is run through the temples. And we did a show last week and talked about uh, authors, archaeologists, and uh, historians talking about the temples being banks. Even the temple in Jerusalem was operating as a form of bank. And we also talked about the fact that the early apostles were told that certain people were being neglected in the daily ministration 
and they need to do form uh, these seven men to provide for the tables. And the word they use for tables there is the same word they translate in the same Bible as bank. Because those tables were representing financial institutions. And so, Peter is appointing seven men, and you can go read our article on seven men at Preparing You. They were setting up a kind of institution that was a bank. These guys weren't serving, you know, uh, matzah or unleavened bread at uh, dinners. That's not the kind of waiting on tables that they were doing. They were ta- they were, and we've showed this now in the article on seven men that these men were all over uh, the Roman Empire. They didn't live in one place, and they were wealthy men, and they were given this position to help move finances around because Christians had to take care of their needy it, all over the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was suffering uh, emergencies, durs. Economically, trade-wise, uh, inflation-wise, and they needed a system that would help them out because Christians would not eat meats sacrificed uh, to idols. In other words, they would not get the free bread offered by the Roman emperors from their temples because that would have been considered fornication. So, if you if you look at the word idolatry, it comes from a Greek word, uh, eldolatria, which is actually two words. It's a comp- one of those Greek compound words. Uh, idolon, which means kind of an image or an idol. And latria, which means to worship. But if you, that's what we're told if you look in a modern dictionary, a uh, Greek dictionary, but if you actually study the etymology other word, latria, worship, means service paid to the gods, hired labor. And as related to the word latron, which means pay, hire, latris, servant, uh, worshiper. So latron is pay, hire, and latris is servant or worshiper. Servant means somebody who works for. And of course, when you were in bondage in Egypt, you worked 20% of the year for the government. And, and the Pharaoh was considered a god. <laughs> Just like Augustus Caesar was considered a god. And if you signed up for his temple, you would have to work for him. A portion of your labor would belong to Caesar. But you'd get that free bread. But that free bread was part of an idol. We'll be right back. So as we were looking in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, and if you're at Preparing You, you find that uh, particular article that has all the footnotes there, as well as the original uh, audios that we did, the podcast that we did with uh, chapter 5 and going through Ephesians. But I'm taking it a little bit deeper here, and I've added, you know, like 50 footnotes, so you can actually look at these words without going to another page. But we see fornication, they say right in the definition, is a metaphor for idolatry. And idolatry is eating the meat, the food, the 
free bread that's coming from the temples of Rome uh, or the temple of Herod because Herod was using the same system. He and Augustus were friends. He even built temples to Augustus. But uh, like the temple of Roma, which we now have a more extensive article on that. But the reality was that the, these temples were government buildings providing welfare for the people. Free bread, money, wine, uh, all, uh, even education occasionally, and other assistance to the people through these government temples. And they, guys like Caesar, Augustus Caesar was proclaimed a god because he was a ruling judge. They knew he wasn't an actual, you know, uh, physical, spiritual god, but he was in place of God. He was going to, you know, provide you with all these benefits. But he only provided you with these benefits because he exercised authority over your neighbor. And it took about 150 years from the time of Polybius to... For the people to become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others in these covetous systems that take away from your neighbors so that you can have more free stuff. But by that time, most Romans had become accustomed to it. Some wanted to go back to the Republic and some wanted to do it with force of arms, which is why they seized the Imperial Palace and killed Caligula and killed most of his family and family members. But finally the Praetorian Guard, the Secret Service of the day, went in there and stopped these insurrectionists and put Claudius on the throne. And Claudius knew Paul, actually spoke with Paul, knew Paul's relatives, spoke with them, admired some of them, but you're not told that history because if you, the more of the history you know, the more you know what's going on. So fornication, in this sense, had to do not with sexual intercourse, but with idolatry. And so we have this other thing. And all uncleanness, not only fornication, but all uncleanness. And this uncleanness, it could be physically unclean, you know, you haven't taken a bath. But it could also be in a moral sense. The impurity of lustful, luxurious, uh, propagated living. Now, what, that particular word in the Greek, it, it's from a, a Greek word that uh, means also not clean or unclean, but in a moral sense, unclean in thought and life. It is unclean in thought and life to think that it's okay to take away from your neighbor by force so that you can have more stuff. That's called coveting your neighbor's goods. That's a covetous practice. All these systems of social welfare set up by Herod, set up by Augustus Caesar, set up in Ephesus, were all based on you sign up and you have to pay in. Is you, there will actually be people who come to your house and force you to contribute. And if you don't pay, they may even take your house away. And of course, that goes on every day in America. Uh, it, you know, property tax, you're forced to pay it. 
If you don't pay it, they take your house away. Uh, tax on your labor. Uh, you're forced to pay your tax on your labor. And you may, you may need to pay that because of the fact that, uh, you've signed up or your father signed up before you or your grandfather signed up before him because he wanted benefits and he didn't mind getting them at the expense of his neighbor. I mean, public schools, everything. These are all covetous practices you desire. Now you could have public schools where everybody donates and everybody gets together and builds a school with their own efforts and labor and their own money and they they put it on what we call public land and they they set up a board and they run it and that's fine. Uh, they may do a good job. They may bring in CRT or whatever, but uh, it's their school. They built it. There isn't anybody else. But if you go to the government and say, you give us money, they are also going to control. Now, you can have your protests and complain and all this stuff about it, and, and maybe you'll push the the things out that they want to do. What was the uh, don't say gay bill in Florida? It doesn't actually say that anywhere in the bill. They're just trying to limit the amount of sexual education in the school and they wanted to exclude like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, the lowest grades that the teachers are not sexualizing these small children that are very vulnerable with topics that small children could care less about. They're still finding themselves and instead of letting them find themselves, we have people in there manipulating their thinking and their knowledge and 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 grooming them for a different kind of lifestyle. And they said they don't want that. And they had to pass a bill to say they don't want that. But if you actually owned your local schools because you built them with charity, that couldn't come in. You would have control. But something else would take place. Because you sacrificed willingly of your own resources for the betterment or or the benefit of your neighbor, you've opened a door to a higher realm of thinking, an unselfish realm of thinking, a Christ-like realm of thinking. Christ didn't come to save himself. He came to save others and was willing to sacrifice himself to do it. If you're not willing to sacrifice for uh, your neighbor and to help your neighbor, to save your neighbor from ignorance, then you don't have Christ in you. A lot of people think they're born again. We've had a show on that. You can go to John 3, and I think those recordings are up already. But John 3 talks about being born again. It actually means born from above. But it's very clear if you keep reading <laughs> the next few verses that if you're still doing iniquity, you're not born again. That's how you know whether you're born again or not. If you're still doing iniquity, you're not born again. And if you're still coveting your neighbors through men who exercise authority one over the other because you want those benefits then you're disobeying Christ and you're a worker of iniquity because you're engaged in covetous practice. If you're asking them to borrow money against the future, you just compounded your iniquity. 
and you're not born again. You're under a strong delusion. And you you pay your churches and your pastors lots of money to keep that delusion going for you. And I come along and say, no, that's a delusion. You're sitting in darkness. You don't actually know what's going on. You're in the process of absolute total moral decay. But the good news is you can repent, turn around, think another way, and realize that you can't you can't go that way. You don't want to go that way. You don't want to engage in those covetous practices. So that's the three things they mention there in that one verse is fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness. Let it not be once named amongst you as becometh saints. But I just named it. You know, Americans all over the United States are coveting their neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority, despite the fact that Christ said it was not to be that way with you. And you're engaged in this, these covetous practices of exercising authority one over the other. But it goes on in verse 4, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Now, all those words, you know, like one of the first mentions of foolishness is in uh, Samuel, also in Samuel, where Saul forced an offering of the people. He forced a sacrifice in order to fund his army because he could see the, the Philistines were massing an army. He knew he had to get ready and he needed some funds to help fund his army, get supplies, etc. So he forced the sacrifice of the people instead of the way they did it normally is ask for contributions. And uh, Samuel said, you've done a foolish thing. Uh, this idea of forcing the contributions of the people. Of course, uh, people in America, people in Venezuela, although they're getting their lesson now, but uh, Joe Biden is now going to buy oil from them, so they'll get a lot of revenue, so they'll be able to afford to keep the people oppressed. But the idea is that all these people who thought socialism was good, their conscience was already seared to think that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. It, that's a covetous practice. If you want to force the rich to pay more, you've divided your nation into rich and poor, and you, that division will continue. And you are coveting your neighbor's goods. You say, well, he should pay more because he's rich. Well, he should pay more, but you want to force him to pay more. Well, you're going to get caught in the net of your own making. You're going to be snared because as you judge, so shall you be judged. And there's always somebody poorer than you, and now he gets to force you to contribute more. And and statistically, we know that if you if you took all the wealth of all the richest people in the world... Uh, and try and you just turn that wealth over to taking care of the poor, you would still have poor. And Jesus tells us that you will have poor always. The reason you have the poor and the reason Christ had this system where you take care of the poor through charity, through love, 
through faith, through hope, is because that makes you rich in another way. It connects you to the higher way of thinking uh, so that you're born from above. But if you think you're going to have your utopia because you take away from your neighbor, you're born from the lower realms of force and greed and covetousness. And it will drag your mind down that way as well. So he goes on in uh, in this verse 4, Neither filthiness, uh, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. This is all talking about the same thing, which are not convenient. Well, what do they mean, not convenient? Well, there's actually two words there where they get this not convenient. To have uh, come up, to arrived at or reach to. This is what the, the first word, an echo, means. To pertain to what is due. Duty as was fitting. So, that word not convenient has to do with duty, but the second part of that is uh, ooh, which also before the vowel, they talk about this absolute negative. So, what is not convenient, he's talking about your duty that you're not doing. And uh, you shouldn't be neglecting your duty. Well, now we jump over to the definition of the word religion. Today, religion is what you think about God, and people go to church and they think they, they, they think they believe in Jesus. They're not doing what he said. As a matter of fact, they're doing the absolute opposite of what he said. And, but they think they love Jesus, but if you loved him, you would keep his commandments and you would not be engaged in covetous practices. You would be engaged in taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and fealty. But, so they, they're, they don't really believe in Jesus. They're not really born again. <laughs> and they're actually workers of iniquity. Which Jesus t- says many people would think they're Christians. Think they believe in him. Come boasting about what they did. And he says, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. They don't even realize that they're workers of iniquity. But as we see the time running out, it's very important that people search their souls and find out why they may be counted amongst those many who think they're Christians but are actually workers of iniquity. And one of the things is they're neglecting their duty. They're not involved with the performance of their duty. And again, back to that religion. We think religion is what you think about God. But 200 years ago in America, religion was defined as the pious performance of a duty to God and to your fellow man. That's what religion was. Even if you go all the way back to threskia, which is the Greek word for religion, that has to do with what you do. It's not what you think. It's what you actually do. Because real faith compels action. So if you have real faith, then you will do your duty to God and your fellow man. Well, what's your fellow, what's your duty to God? Well, God said, love thy neighbor as thyself. Moses said it. Jesus said it. And uh, that would mean that you have to care about your neighbor. And if you cared about your neighbor, you wouldn't send the sheriff to his house 
to take his land away from his house away from him and throw him out on the street because he didn't pay for your child's education. And I, I've given the example in the past of a lady whose husband died. Uh, they paid off their house and uh, her husband died. It was his second wife. I don't know what happened to his first wife. I assume she died. I hope she died rather than divorce. But his second wife had a language barrier. She uh, English was her second language. But the house was all paid off, but and she had to get work to sustain the house and all this stuff and you know she she didn't have to work before because her husband was a good provider, but he he forgot about something. He was vulnerable. He might die. And so within a couple of years the county sold her property at tax auction. She didn't realize it. She thought she had made enough money and paid all the taxes up. But she still owed $6 of taxes. That was it. That was the total of what she owed. $6. Because she paid everything else. But there was evidently a fine or a fee or something. And somebody didn't do the math right. She didn't realize it. But they auctioned her place off. And they removed her. And the new owner owned it. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't give it back to her. Cause he had paid the county and the county wouldn't refund the money. Nobody said, oh well, my goodness, it was, it was only six dollars. This is a clerical error. She didn't, it's a several hundred thousand dollar home. It took her years and lawyers got rich in the process of people helping her out and eventually she did get the property back. The lawyers got rich. Uh, but, uh, it was a gross injustice. It cost her a fortune to get her house back. Because somewhere along the line, Americans thought it was okay to covet their neighbor's goods in order to get what they thought they ought to have, which is free education. That's where it started. But now it goes on to fire departments and cemeteries and, and all sorts of, you know, Benefits, And, of course, on a federal level, you've given up your right to your labor. You've given up the right to your land. You do, the reason they can tax your land is you don't actually own it. You don't have a legal title. And we explain all this at Preparing You and at his, HisHolyChurch.org. That when Klaus Schwab says you will own nothing and you will be happy, the truth is he probably already knows you own nothing. <laughs> You don't own your labor, at least most of your labor. You don't own your land. You don't own your children. You you know, we can show you in the codes. You don't own your children. And this is one of the things that got Christians persecuted for under Marcus Aurelius. And we explain that also. We show you the laws. We show you what their laws said and why Christians were persecuted. But your modern minister, he doesn't show you, but he won't even tell you that you're engaged in idolatry if you're engaged in covetous practices. And yet, if you go on to uh, uh, verse 5 and 6, it says, For this ye know, that no whoremongers, no unclean person, those whoremongers, that would be those fornicators, who are going to the harlots, of the world and the temples of the world to get their benefits. No, nor unclean person. Remember that uncleanness we saw in verse three. Uh, nor covetous man 
Who is an idolater? Because if you covet your neighbor's goods through these institutions, these temples of government, you are an idolater. So they put those together, and this is not the only place they put it together. We'll show you a few other places. Have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? You have, if you're eating at the altars, the temples of men who exercise authority, who take away from your neighbor, even though it's legal for them to take away, because your neighbor signed up, you signed up, in order to get these benefits, you're an idolater, because you're engaged in these covetous practices. You're a covetous man. You're not a Christian. And you have, uh, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, or of the kingdom of God. And he goes on in verse 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words. That's what you get in your modern churches. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So he warns you in verse 7, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness. In darkness is what they mean. But now ye are light. Supposedly in the light of understanding that Christ brought. But if you were really in the light of understanding, you would know that he said, don't be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. Don't engage in covetous practices, but engage in the practice of sacrifice. Don't engage in the Corban of the Pharisees because it makes the word of God to none effect. And you're going to need the word of God as things begin to unravel in the world where we see the decline and fall of the new Roman Empire, the the image of the beast, the clay feet will crumble and things will fall apart. So, I said that there were other places besides Ephesians where you could see this same thing. Uh, and, of course, we can look at uh, this whole list. Romans one twenty nine being uh, filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, uh, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, uh, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, uh, covenant breakers, without natural affection, and implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them, that they... Uh, them that do them. So that's what we see Paul talking about Romans one twenty nine. He lists big long list of people. And he there's several places where he has these lists and we should have nothing to do with them. And uh, uh if you go to you know, like I said uh let's see where else did I find this? Oh in Corinthians ten fifteen it talks about, or 10.14 first, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. 
And of course, when he's saying idolatry there to these people who have read all these other things and understand them in context, he knows that uh, the, the idolatry is the metaphor idolatry of eating things sacrificed to these gods. Uh, where they take your labor, they take a part, portion of your property in order to provide these benefits. But we'll look at uh, Galatians 5.19, uh, another long list when we return to Kings, Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're looking at this word idolatry, which if you look it up in the dictionary today, it says uh, worship of a cult image or physical object as though it were God or or, or a god. And, uh, of course, we have to look at the word God in that definition because Augustus was a God, Pharaoh was a God, uh, Jesus said, ye also are gods, but what, what does the word actually mean, and, and we have articles on that as well, but, uh, basically the word that we see in the Greek, Theos and Elohim and the, uh, Hebrew, it means ruling judge. They actually address judges in a court of law as God because they were the ruling judge of that court. And when Jesus said, ye also are gods, he means that you have a right to judge. You don't have a right to necessarily judge your neighbor uh, that, you know, your neighbor should give more. So let's make him because he should do it. Uh, but you have the right to make certain judgments. God gave us choice. That's one of the evidences of God's love for us as individuals that we have choices that we can make but the consequences of those choices are built into the system that god created which again i told you the bible is teaching us how the universe works it also will teach you how the systems that men create work because of the fact that the systems that men create are still within the universe they're still subject to that cause and effect such as the Corbin of Herod and the Pharisees was making the word of God do none effect because that was built in to the universe that God created. That if you go this way of the Corbin of the Pharisees, then you're going to make the word of God to none effect. And the word of God is the word of life. And so your life will be taken away and and that also fits into, as you judge, so shall you be judged. You judge it's okay to take from your neighbor, so now it's okay to take from you. You see how that works? And so it's just built in that as you judge, so shall you be judged. So you don't want to judge. You want to do the reverse. And, of course, John the Baptist came along doing the reverse. When everybody else was using force, to establish their utopia, their Green New Deal, their whatever you want to call it, on earth, they were using force. I heard somebody playing a recording of AOC, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, and she was whispering because that's supposed to have an effect. And I didn't catch all of what she was whispering, but she was saying, uh, you know, she's against capitalism and for socialism, but she was actually saying that we should get together and form... Uh, a workers co-op because that's a good thing well you can do that right now in capitalism you always could do that in capitalism 
A workers' co-op is when ten people get together and they pool their money and they start a business and they they put down in the contract how they're going to do it, how they're going to divide things up, and they may do a good job of that or they may do a poor job of that. But in capitalism, you have the right to do that. Yeah, I mean, a multiple cooperative is a can be a very good thing. Some of the most successful businesses in the world are the result of cooperatives. But socialism is not a cooperative. It's one purse. Uh, you can leave the co-op. <laughs> Hopefully you put in some buyout clauses so that if you leave, they, they will give you your, you know, your share and they'll buy you out. But uh, that just depends on how you make the deal. But you have that right. But in socialism, you don't have the right to choose. Somebody else has the right. And they, you may think you have, you'll have the power, but in capitalism is not a political system. Socialism is. That's one of the major differences. But back to this idea of what an idolatry is, is the worship of this cult image or physical object. But you actually, if you go through, uh, you know, an anthropological approach to examination throughout history, that it's almost impossible to find uh, devotees of any religion in history that actually regarded the the statue or the image as a deity itself. It, the, the statue is an image always represented some idea or ideology of an entity. And in the case, like we said, with the golden calf, that was... That's just, they knew that was their goal. They made it in a statue so that they could tell if somebody was robbing the bank. And they protected that statue and it bound the people together so that they would protect it. But because this was the arts of the temple of Egypt, it also involved a socialist system, a social system of welfare. Moses, in result, you know, he didn't get rid of the golden statue with the ground opening up and fire and the statue falling in like we see in Cecil B. DeMille's movie, he actually ground it up in some sort of way and made the people eat it as uh, dust in their food. (laughs) And then they could start accumulating gold. But he wanted them to carry their gold in their purse and their pocket. Everybody, Everybody in the kingdom is part of the treasure of the kingdom. But you hold the strings of your purse yourself. But it requires for it to work, the kingdom of God to work, that people have to lay down a portion of their life to help out the needy. That's the performance of that duty. You know, what they talk about not convenient, not fulfilling that duty, not going to work. Yeah, you're not supposed to eat of the, 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 the blood that is in the benefits of these temples because there's blood in it because their contributions were forced they were not freely given the life of the people is in that we had a case of a widow here who should have had very low taxes based because she lived pretty much in a shack and a property and some tax assessor came along and put her so she was paying more taxes on her property than almost anybody I knew around here and because they they said she lived in rural recreational, but it wasn't rural recreational. It was a shack out in the desert. <laughs> so, and uh, we said that you know I took it to the 
the tax collector, and he said he wouldn't do anything unless she came in. She was afraid to come in. She was in her 80s then. She finally passed away just this year in her 90s. But uh, she was afraid to go in there and challenge it. And eventually he was replaced. I talked to another guy, and he wouldn't do anything about it. We couldn't get her to go in to challenge it. And she just kept paying it. And uh, finally, there's a tax assessor there, and my son brought it to his attention. He had a relationship with him, and, and he realized, well, she shouldn't be paying that. But he could only go back a few years, and they finally reduced their taxes, and then she died. But uh, for years, they were literally robbing this old lady, robbing the widows and orphans. That's what they're doing. It just It's just shocking. And it was done while everybody was going to their churches and nobody would hardly do anything about it. And finally, somebody in our family was successful after years and years. Because <laughs> I had a daughter go in there to... It was partly because the tax assessor is a different guy now. And as soon as he saw it, he didn't need her to come in. He just knew it was inappropriate because she doesn't live on rural recreational property. But anyway, back to this anthropological approach to these uh, graven images. They never thought the image was the God. It represented a system. And that system was based on an ideology. And the ideology is that capitalism is bad. <laughs> and all your wealth should belong to this central bank in the golden calf. And you will be happy. <laughs> and you will get up and play. That's what they're talking about. That, that's what what Klaus Schwab is offering you. And uh, Harari, his, one of his mentors, he, like I've, I've gone into several of his quotes. I don't think we'll get to them again. I've got more and more of them. I'm going to keep introducing him because he is the snake in the garden. But his delusions... Uh, and the truth is, the snake in the garden was delusional as well. But his delusions are, you're susceptible to them because you don't know the whole truth because you sit in darkness. And you sit in darkness because we fled the light way back there in the garden. <laughs> I was explaining to somebody the other day, the tree of knowledge, that's your brain. That's the tree of knowledge. And you should have a good brain with lots of knowledge and you should take care of it. But the source of your action should be the Holy Spirit, the tree of life, because that's also in you as well. And we may talk about that this afternoon, the structure of the brain, the triune brain, and uh, how that works, and how your brain can actually be used as a tool, but not as a source. The source has to be from above, this higher plane of consciousness, this higher a source of enlightenment, this this realm closer to the Creator and operating according to the Creator, because there are other realms that are operating according to force, fear, and violence. And this is why John the Baptist, everybody was using force to establish their Green New Deal, their utopia, like I was saying a few minutes ago. But John the Baptist said, no, don't do it that way. If you have two coats and your neighbor doesn't have one, share. Do the same in meats. Do the same in your free bread. Do the same in your public schools. Uh, create your public schools 
or your schools, private schools, you can have private schools, you can have public schools, but you have to create them by charity, not legal charity. And if you want to know what legal charity is, look that up at preparing you, because that's the charity that the government offers you, which is not real charity. It's forced charity. You're bound to do it. Because you, long time ago, you, you became a part of a system, a one per system. So, if we read in Colossians 3.5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Now, your members, he's talking to the church. Uh, the Colossians. And uh, he's saying, mortify them. Uh, upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That's what he says. Covetousness is idolatry. Now, that word concupiscence, that's a big, long word, concupiscence. That's also normally translated into lust. <laughs> that's, that's what it's translated into. It's translated into lust. 31 times. It's only translated into concupiscence three times. Desire three times. And and lust after once. But uh, it's actually another one of those compound Greek words, epithumia, which has to do with this uh, craving something that is forbidden. Well, it's forbidden that you covet your neighbor's goods. It's Forbidden that you take away from your neighbor. Remember when we were looking at that word idolatry, it comes from the idea of of worship, but worship comes from the idea of service. We have articles up on worship. See, people think worship is that God is sometime, somehow insecure unless you praise him. So you have to go to church and praise him. But actually, worship has to do with serving him, uh, doing his will, providing... You know, your duty to God and your fellow man, taking care of the widows and orphans and the needy of your society. That's pure religion. But it's only pure religion if you don't do it, uh, if it's not spotted by the world. And the word world there is constitutional order or system of government. So what they're saying is that you have to take care of the widows and orphans entirely by charity. Not by those men who operate in force. You have to take care of the needy of your society entirely by charity. Build your schools by charity, your welfare by charity, your taking care of the elderly by charity. Of course, you're supposed to be taking care of your parents anyway. You're not supposed to be going to men who exercise authority and saying, you take care of my parents and I will, you know, I will pay this social security payment in. And I have to do no more op for my parents because they get a social security check from the men who exercise authority. You see, you, you've, you've turned your world upside down. America used to do that. Build all the schools by charity. Uh, build all the fire departments by charity or membership. Uh, we have one of the largest rural fire departments on the West Coast, probably in the United States. Started by one of my other sons uh, out here in Summer Lake. Covers Summer Lake and Christmas Valley and, you know, a large portion of the county. And they started it all by free will offerings. And it's still 
operates by free will offerings. And, uh, but you think you have to tax your neighbor. And I'm, I'm sure there will be people who want to put it on the tax rolls. <laughs> but we'll try to, try to keep people on the straight and narrow and keep them Christian. So we should be able to do the same thing with our schools, everything. Because otherwise we're, we're engaging in covetous practices. And if you actually look up that word, epithumia, uh, or epithumio as a, uh, a verb, it, it has to do with this lust, uh, turn upon things to have a desire for, a long for, or to desire to lust after, to covet. <laughs> There's that word covet, where you desire something at the expense of other. So when he says, uh, concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the program. I said all these people are idolaters. They think they're Christians, but they're actually idolaters. Because they covet their neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, which is idolatry. So you are idolaters. Wow! You didn't think so when I first said that. <laughs> But now some of you say, well, I don't want those benefits. Okay, do you want the benefits of Christ? Because, see, you have that choice. You you can, you know, you may have to pay Caesar because of the choices that your parents made and your grandfathers made and all that, and you're in the system. And you've become merchandise. And just like the people that were in the bondage of Egypt, they belong to Pharaoh. Now, God arranged it so that somebody else came along and was the rightful Pharaoh, but he wasn't going to earn his position or take his position back as the rightful Pharaoh by killing people, you know, by getting AR-15 and, and having a real insurrection. That isn't the strategy that Christ was going to use. That wasn't the strategy that Moses was going to use. And those people who think, well, we'll get together and we'll form a militia. You know, I have nothing against a militia. You might have a real enemy that comes from another country in here. Uh, or maybe just marauders or something. But if you want to form a militia to overthrow the government, you're not following Christ. And I just want to go on record because some people are going to say that I'm some kind of an insurrectionist because I don't believe in idolatry. <laughs> I don't worship their gods. I don't serve their gods. But we explain all the details of this in a legal way. But we don't explain it to everybody. But it's all written out there. If you read all the footnotes, I think there's like almost 80 footnotes on the Ephesian page now. So that you can look some of these things up. But the reality is if you're, if you're lusting after those benefits, if you're desiring those benefits uh, that come to you by way of the covetous practices... You are an idolater. Because that is idolatry. If you read Colossians 3, 5, you can go look it up yourself. <laughs> and it, it couples it with fornication in the metaphor sense where you're going to the harlot who rides the beast, which are the temples of the beast, the temples of government that provide you with the needy, you know, the the welfare for the needy through forced contributions, contrary to John the Baptist, 
contrary to Jesus Christ, contrary to the apostles, contrary to Paul, and you're going to become merchandise. And then when we get to Revelations, which we've already done, but and you have to have the mark of the beast to prove that you have a right to the benefits of idolatry. <laughs> the benefits of men who exercise authority one over the other, which is idolatry. You see, this is, you know, you can see why we're not extremely popular, <laughs> because we're telling you the whole truth. So anyway, Colossians 3.5 goes on to all the way up to Colossians 7. We can read that. So mortify therefore your members, you're talking to the church, the real church, not the modern church, which are upon the earth, because the kingdom of God is upon the earth. It's just not a part of the world of Rome, the constitutional order and system of Rome. They don't eat of the sacrifices at the Roman temple, the free bread of the Roman temple, the the uh, empire's relief plan for when there were dearths in the land. They provided their own. And they had a whole system to do this, a whole network. It wasn't just home churches. It was home churches networked together so that they could send aid to uh, Ephesus or aid to Syria or aid to Galatia or aid to Corinth or to the Greeks when there was needs there because there was a famine going to come through. And they saw it. They foresaw it. And they foresaw it because they were born again from above. I mean, really born again from above. And they they had light to see what was coming. That's why I mentioned the Epoch Times is some of those people there may not be far from the kingdom. They're not all that way, I'm sure. But wherever they're at in the world, those people will need to find each other and start creating that system that made America great, which was a system of charity to take care of all the social welfare needs of the people. We have a thing where we call FEMA. Well, they have a thing called FEMA which is a federal emergency management uh, agency. We have a thing called FEMA, which is the faith <laughs> emergency ministry auxiliary. <laughs> and it's supposed to do all the things that FEMA of the world does, but we do it through faith, hope, and charity. You see, they're both forms of government, but Christ preached a form of government that operated on charity. So, anyway, and they, you know, of course, the Israelites had their militia. Everybody was armed. That was one of the first things he showed them, how to get a sword and how to to make it and all this stuff. But, when it comes to defeating Pharaoh, because Pharaoh had agreed to God's demands, God destroyed Pharaoh. Not your militia. If you're going to count on your militia fighting the government... You're not going down the path of Christ. That isn't that isn't what you should be doing. When you have your church meeting, you should be focusing on the righteousness of the kingdom of God, the love of the kingdom of God, the charity of the kingdom of God, the faith, the hope of the kingdom of God. God will provide the rest. So anyway, so this... Uh, Inordinate affections and concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. 
And I've talked about the wrath of God before. I may even have a page on that. I could probably link to it. I'll I'll think about that later. I'll put a little note here. Because uh, the wrath of God is the cause and effect universe coming into play. It's that God up there sitting there like, I'm going to smite those people. I'm just sick and tired of them. <laughs> God doesn't do it that way. I mean, you may do it that way. I may do it that way because we're... We're flesh and blood, and we get impatient, and we get irritated. But God, God is way more consistent than you guys. So, but God has built into the system the wrath of God. It's the consequences in a cause and effect universe if you go the wrong way. Now, those consequences may fall on the just and the unjust, but the just will see them coming and be able to make provisions for them so they aren't they don't perish at the wrath of God the wrath of God will actually protect them just like it protected the Israelites down there in the Red Sea the sea parted because of something happened and it wasn't like Cecil B. DeMille's where you see this you know wall of water <laughs> up there and fish swimming in it it has great special effects but that's his imagination. That isn't what God was doing. But they were able to walk all the way across the Red Sea. And the centurions tried to follow. Uh, the, well, the uh, Pharaoh's army tried to follow them with their chariots and stuff. And they didn't make it. And, I mean, like a lot of people, all oh, that's myths and fictions. And then they find chariot wheels coral and fossilized at the bottom of the <laughs> sea along the same area. So you say, like, where did these guys come from? Who drove out here into the water and perished? <laughs> so, But uh, it goes on in verse 7. In the which ye also walked sometimes when ye lived in them. See, many of the Christians were part of, you know, what became Christians had been a part of these systems of social welfare through men who exercise authority. But they repented, which is the good news. You can repent. You can sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded and start caring about one another. And things aren't super bad right now. So if you did that right now, you can kind of work into it. And of course, that's what Christ was doing through his ministry. But eventually, Pentecost came. And you had to make that choice. But we'll have to talk more about this when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom because we are on another break now. So be right back. Okay, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. So there's quite a few other places in the Bible where it talks about this same thing. It's actually a theme of the whole Bible is this idea from the original sacrifices, the altars of stone, which were actually living altars even way back in the days of uh, of uh, Abraham and Moses. Those altars were men you trust. You look out amongst yourselves by men you trust. The people gave true charity to those men, and those men were responsible for rightly dividing that charity from house to house because... You know, there are a lot of professional criminals out there. I say criminals in the sense of people will take advantage. You know, they'll say, oh, we're poor, help us out. And they're not really as poor as as they say they are. They, you know, they got a sign on the corner. 
So you, in order for your charity to truly be charitable, it has to strengthen the poor. In order to do that, there has to be people who really know the people they're helping and whether or not they're really poor. You know, we had uh, a neighbor here who saw somebody, you know, on the street corner with a sign collecting money, saw people giving, they had to wait in the car for their wife, so they saw people giving money out the window to this guy, and he was kind of trying to, thinking, oh, I wonder how much money that guy brings in on that corner. And uh, and then he left, and a, another guy came up and took over, and he left. They actually are timed. We've seen this before. But he watched the guy where he went, and he went way up into the parking lot, Got opened up a nice car door, uh, a car nicer than his own, and he took off his grungy coat and threw it in, took a nice coat out of the car, <laughs> put it on, and eventually he drove away in that car. This guy had a nice car. He probably had a nice place. He was just picking up an extra hundred bucks from idiots handing money out the window <laughs> of their car. Thinking that they're charitable. So anyway, you don't want to do that. But you also don't want to be an idolater and a fornicator going to men who exercise authority one over the other to get your benefits because that's the Corbin of Herod that makes the word of God to none effect. Now, of course, again, we have articles that explain all this, show you what the Corbin was. I mean, it tells you right there that the Corbin of the Pharisees caused the sons to do no more aught for their parents because they said it is a sacrifice to the temple. Because they're paying into your social security there. But unfortunately, this, as Polybius says, it brings the dictatorships that we see in the Ukraine, that we see in the Soviet Union, and in, uh, now in Russia, and in Venezuela, and now in America. And uh, eventually the whole world, because the whole world is following after the heir of Balaam. And I mention that because the next place we were going to read is Corinthians verse 10. And in my notes, I think I start at verse, well, there, we were at verse 14. Now, we could, I also mentioned Galatians, uh, Galatians 5.19, and you can read that. If we get to it, you would read that all the way up to at least verse 23. You can read the whole thing. I don't mind. <laughs> but but uh, we saw in Colossians 3.5 that this lust for these benefits and the, through covetousness is idolatry. So we we need to understand that and go with that. But... If we go to verse 14 to save time here, uh, let's, let's, I'm led to go back to at least verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, there's people who think they're Christians, but they have fallen. And before that, they talked about destroyed of the destroyer. And what did Plutarch say? The greatest destroyers of liberty are the granters of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. He said even the he who first ruined Rome was he who spread amongst them uh, gifts and gratuities. And that, of course, was you know Julius Caesar for sure. Uh, that was the biggest, but then uh, Augustus Caesar. 
And they were able to do that because they sold a lot of white people into slavery. You know, all the Gauls, over a million Gauls, or almost a million Gauls. They sold those different numbers. Historians kind of lose count, but they, they think it was around a million Gauls, men, women, and children, that were sold into slavery all over the Roman Empire. And there was a huge market in North Africa for white slaves. That was really popular. So they they sold them, and that gave them their money. So, but now, people sell their neighbors into bondage so that they can get their benefits. So, they're telling us to sin lest we fall to this temptation. Because he goes on in verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now, that's what we're telling you now, that if you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, like Christ commanded his followers to do, and his ministers to make you do that, and you actually start taking care of one another uh, through faith, hope, and charity, that God through his ministers will provide an escape. Just like Moses provided an escape across the Red Sea. But I'm not going to tell you what it was, and Moses didn't tell the people what it was, but he told them that they had to take care of one another through the famines that God supposedly brought. Upon Egypt. But the truth is, those famines wouldn't have been famines. Had Pharaoh known they were coming, they could have provided for them. The people, if they had known they were coming, they could have provided for them. And we see in the Acts of the Apostles that there were prophets that rose up amongst these Christians who rejected the temple at Herod, of Herod. And began to take care of one another through charity instead of force. Because Herod's temple was based in the same way that Caesar's temples were based. It was forced. They had their Gabi, Molkai, we talked about that, going around, forcing the contribution, taking the branches off the common plants in their windowsill, uh, pacing off their wheat fields, uh, counting the fish as they brought them in. That we get a portion of this, we get this tax, because you had signed up to this system that was offered through the synagogues and temple of Judea. And you've all signed up with FDR and LBJ. And they offered the same system. So now we're at verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So this is the key. Flee from idolatry. I don't say come out of the system. I, I'll, I'll share Hopefully in the next week if I get it done. Uh, uh, audio that I made years ago. And uh, with all kinds of links to the supporting articles. But it's real quick. It's only about seven minutes. And I'll share it on YouTube. But uh, And at preparing you. Join the network and we'll let you know when those are available. But idolatry is this system of social welfare through men who exercise authority who take away from your neighbor to provide you with all kinds of dainties. 
And even even go back to Proverbs where it says if you sit and eat with a ruler at his table, at his welfare table, put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful dainties. He's telling you that in Proverbs. But of course, David told you that. What should have been for your welfare has become a snare. And Paul quotes David saying the same thing. But your pastors and preachers and Home churchers aren't telling you that that's idolatry. (laughs) To desire those benefits by men who take away from your neighbor or take away from the future of your children by borrowing the money to provide you with benefits today. But if you will seek the ways of Christ, he will provide, God will provide an escape. So anyway... uh, Now we go into verse 15. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what what I say. Now, uh, he speaks as if he's talking to wise men and I'm speaking to you as as if I'm talking to wise men. And of course, there's going to be some people out there who just aren't going to get it. But this is the key. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not? The communion of the blood of Christ. The Eucharist of Christ was sacks of bread during times of famine. It isn't a crumb. But it is magical. If you do that, then you will be connected to above. And there will be prophets and and seers that rise up and will tell you what's coming. As just as You know, Epoch Times is telling you what's coming. (laughs) Actually, they don't really tell you what's coming, but they give you a little hint. You'll have a little bit more information, but you have to remember the information they give you. If it's just stored away in your tree of knowledge, it's not going to be enough. You need the tree of life, the Holy Spirit. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread. Because we're the bread. And one body. For we all are uh, partakers. We are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the the sacrifices partakers of the altar. Because that's what the altars were. They were to take care of the needy of your society. They were living altars from the beginning. And, uh, yeah, I even have a link right there. If you're on our Preparing You site, that will take you to and show you that that's actually... And the Essenes knew it at the time of Christ. John the Baptist knew it. Christ knew it. But the Pharisees were a little confused. And why were they confused? They sat in darkness. Now I'm showing you the light. Some of you are going to... Run away. Some of you are going to say, maybe there's more light to be had. And I can tell you there's more light to be had. Verse 19. What say I then? That the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. 
And if you're taking the benefit of devils in their idolatrous government temples, you have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Well, you tell me. Now he's still, now that you can put this, that the tables that he's talking about is the tables of devils that is a snare. It's a table of welfare that is a snare that will make you merchandise and curse your children as surety to death. And they will own nothing. <laughs> but I don't think they'll be happy. Uh, but you will find out. But in verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but another, but every man another's wealth. Isn't that what socialism does? It seeks another man's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles. Now the shambles, that's like a meat market, but that's the meat market, you know, when they had these animals, uh, you know, like bullfighting, when they, a bull is killed in bullfighting, they, then they sell that meat. I don't know. They might give it to the poor. It just depends on where they are. But this, of course, is how they would have these festivals. And then they would take the meat and they would give it to the poor. But they would also sell some of it and take the money to provide supposedly other things. And, of course, a lot of that money went into the pockets of the people providing the service. Because always these temples... Uh, the original temples, I mean, there were lots of different temples, and we explained that also at Preparing You. But uh, many of these temples was in order to facilitate a national system of welfare. That's what religion was. It was the pious performance of your duty to your fellow man based on the teachings of God. And God said you should care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. So verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat. Now he's talking about at somebody's house. And uh, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not. For his sake that showed it, and for the conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So he's talking about, you know, if somebody uh, gets a uh, government uh, welfare check and they offer you some food, you can just eat it, you know, as a matter of being friendly. But if they say, I got this from the government, then you probably should fast because you'll scandalize him because, you know, that's what people say. Why don't you send your kids to public school? I says, well, I'm a Christian. I can't do that because the public school is there because you're forcing your neighbor to contribute to it. So I can't send them there. I can't send my kids there because that would be 
a covetous practice. I'm desiring a benefit that comes from men who exercise authority, who take away from their neighbor. There was a quote, Peor. I have a page up on Peor so you can understand this because they associate it with this, uh, this idea of idolatry. And it's related to this whole system of Balaam, uh, which if, if it's related to Balaam, it's related to the uh, era of the Nicolaitans as well. And so you need to understand how these things, because they're, they're telling you in these uh, systems, in, in, in the biblical text, but people aren't seeing it because their pastors and preachers are not showing them, just like uh, Philip talking to the uh, eunuch explains certain things and he says how would I have known this well the truth is the Holy Spirit would have shown you what I'm talking about uh, if you were listening to the, the Holy Spirit but this the iniquity of Peor as it mentions in Joshua 22:17, but it's also found in a, a lot of other places and uh, I even put up a whole page on this Peor uh, at preparingyou.com. But it's this heresy of Peor is this event related to the Torah in Numbers 25, 1 through 15 and even up into 25, 18 and Numbers 31, 16. So it's all in this Numbers and, in, and also in Deuteronomy 4, 3. And Hosea. 9.10 in Psalms 106.26. So it, it keeps popping up. But in uh, the New Testament references are found in 1 Corinthians 10.8, which we did not read 10.8. We started at 12. Uh, but you also find references in Revelation 2.14. So you can look all those things up. We won't have time now because we're running out of time. But it is connected to this era of Balaam. And uh, as he ascends the mountain of Peor, which is, you know, that was the name of the mountain. And we could actually do a study on that name, Peor, why that particular name. And therefore, seems connected to the era of the Nicolaitans because Balaam and Nicolaitan, if you look up, we have articles on the Nicolaitans uh, who are doing the deeds which God hates. And... And they're they're a part of this error of Balaam, this stumbling block of Balaam. And uh, many modern biblical scholars believe that the Torah written in classical Hebrew uh, reached uh, its present form around 520 B.C. and may include this priestly redactions and additions concerning the Midianite woman and the Phineas priesthood and uh, the Moabites and all these different other characters. But it had to do with this reference to national adultery, which is what we've been talking about. And this worshiping of their gods and idolatry, including Baal, which we see in that Numbers 25, 1 through 3. So the whole Numbers 25 just about covers this whole area. But this national adultery is connected to the Arabalum and the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitan means the conquered people in, in the Greek. 
And Balaam means the conquered people in, in the Hebrew. And how are they conquered? They're conquered. They're made merchandise. Not because Caesar's army comes through and uh, annihilates them and captures them and sells them into bondage. They become, they go into bondage because they commit whoredoms with their temples. Because of their covetous practices, they are made merchandise. In this, these systems of national adultery, most of the places that you read about adultery in the Bible, they're not talking about individual adultery, but national adultery or national fornication. And when they talk about, you know, the bride of Christ, and then they talk about strange women, well, the, or harlots, or whoredom, or whoremongers. That's people who go to harlots. And the harlot is riding the beast. The governments that exercise authority. And they have allowed, you know, like I'd have to say the Catholic Church has allowed this. And they've actually promoted it. The present uh, Pope of the Catholic Church has promoted this, this theology where the government provides the benefits for the people through taxes and uh, forced contributions. And the Pope just wears, you know, gold and fine robes and lives in a wealthy, uh, opulent building. <laughs> so, But uh, the rewards that you get, the benefits that you get from those men who exercise authority, the Bible refers to as the wages of unrighteousness. And the the wages of righteousness come to you by free will offerings that are given in charity and provide you with the necessities of life when there is the wrath of God causing shortages. But of course, again, the wrath of God is the consequences of God. The consequences of going against the ways of God that makes you vulnerable, makes your society vulnerable, like we see in the Ukraine like we see in Venezuela, like we're going to see in the United States, and are already seeing. Uh, the, the runaway inflation is runaway taxation, because inflation is taxation. So, yeah, I can see that I can add a lot more to this PR and take us back to other links. I put it up a long time ago because of this First uh, Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 8, that is making reference to this... Uh, whole idea of uh, pure. And uh, you see it in, if you go back to verse 6, we can start there. I think we might have enough time, but we'll see. But uh, now, now these things were our examples uh, to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be Ye idolaters, lusting after those benefits, those wages of unrighteousness, as were some of them as it is written. But anyway, you can read the rest of that. That's in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. And read it out preparing you, and we'll give you the footnotes. But uh, join the network. Uh, we'll, until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom 
with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.